Well, morning, everybody. All well today? All wide awake? You're well. I'm good. It's great to be here, isn't it, this morning? It's great to have the opportunity of coming together like this. Irrespective of whatever type of week you've had, we're here. We're all here together. We're all here as part of something that's bigger than us. We're all here because we have a Heavenly Father who loves us. We're all here to experience some more of that. We're all here because He knows me and He knows you intimately. He knows everything about you. And His desire is for the best for all of us. His desire is for each of us to flourish, to progress, to live that life that He has that he wants us to live. And that requires change, that requires transformation, that requires us learning, us having a posture of openness, of willingness to see that there's more to be understood, there's more to be grasped. So it's great to come to somewhere like this in thankfulness. Thankfulness of the opportunity that we have. It's so easy for us to come to somewhere like this. There's no barriers, maybe aside from just having to get up a little bit earlier. There's no barriers to coming along here. We all come, and it's good to come with enthusiasm, good to come with anticipation, good to come with an openness of mind and an openness of heart to expect that God wants to say something to us. I don't know about you, but it's been tremendous looking into this passage, this, this um, sermon on the mount, as it's so-called, over these past few weeks trying to see what it is that God wants to say to me and to you and to us collectively through that. I don't know about you, but I don't, have you realized just how radical and challenging and countercultural those words of Jesus were back then, and in fact, remain so today? His message was about something new, he was talking about this kingdom of heaven, that this was a new thing. This was a new kingdom. He was inaugurating in that moment something new, something different. And he was challenging people to what their part in that was too. The word he used was, was repent, and the meaning of that was change your mind, change your way of thinking, change your direction, think differently, and therefore act and be and live differently. Now, the people that Jesus was talking to at that time, whenever he was sitting up on the hill, as Clive so well described last week, you can picture the scene of all the people round about. Those people will have heard teachers many times before. They'll have heard things explained to them and so on. They'll have a full knowledge of the law and the prophets, which is what we call the Old Testament because it was really central to the national identity that they had as Jews, as people living in Israel. But Jesus was different. If you, if you flip across to the end of this particular sermon, it says the people were amazed. Amazed at his teaching because he taught with real authority, unlike their teachers of the law. There was something different about the way Jesus said things. There was something different about what Jesus said. There was just something different about him, his demeanor, his posture. There was something different. And the people then must have wondered, how, how does Jesus fit in with this tradition that we've got, this law and, and prophets 
How, how, does, how does he fit with all of that? And that, that's why we heard last week that Jesus said he hadn't come to abolish that. Jesus said, I haven't come to abolish the law and the prophets, but I've come to fulfill them, to accomplish their purpose. That's a pretty radical statement, isn't it? This is the law and the prophets. This is thousands of years of history. And here's somebody saying, I've come to accomplish that. But think about it. So much of the law and the prophets, again, what we call the Old Testament, it's pointing forward to a Messiah. It's pointing forward to a Savior. It's pointing forward to, we know, to Jesus. And Jesus was saying when he arrived on this earth, you see that, that prophecy, that's me. That's me. That prophecy is fulfilled in me. Now, that doesn't take anything away from the prophecy that was given, those original words, but it did mean that Jesus was fulfilling it. He was bringing it to a designated end. Jesus wasn't another person in a long line of prophets, another prophet. He was, he was the end of the line. He was fulfilling it. It didn't need any more. This new kingdom that Jesus was inaugurating was based on something different. It was based on love. That was the motivation. Remember what Jesus said when somebody, and I paraphrase a little, said, Jesus, what's the main thing? You know, what's the real, what's, what do I need to really grasp a hold of? And Jesus said, it's love God and love people. Love God and love people. So Jesus was saying, don't, don't make the law your motivation. Of course we need boundaries and framework. Of course we need that. Love is your motivation. Loving God and loving people. It's about relationships over and above rules that are behind them. In this new kingdom, the question then to ask was, not was, what does the law require of me? The question to ask was, what does love require? require of me. What does the law require of me? That's checking boxes. That's uh, almost you can think, well, how, how, how little can I get away with just so that I comply with everything? Jesus is saying, no, that's not the question. What does love require of me? And just as, as I've let that permeate, I imagine this was so new to those people, so new to the listeners, how radical it sounded. So it's no wonder Jesus was saying, you need to think a little bit differently, to change your mind, to change direction, to think different in order to be different. And that thinking differently was what Jesus was getting at when he said, <clears throat> the next part of our passage, it says, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless your righteousness surpasses that, I'm sure the people were thinking, what? These guys are expert at that. They've got the list. There's over, when you add the commands and the rules and all, there's over 600 of them, and I'm sure they tick them all off every week. What do you mean I've got to surpass that? Jesus was saying, that's not what the kingdom is about. That's about externally 
keeping rules. That's about checking boxes. That's about what do other people see. That's about me feeling smug about myself because I've, I've, I've got to the end of the 600. Jesus is saying, that's not what it's about. It's so much deeper. And it's so much better for you too. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. It's about love. It's about that ongoing transformation that love brings. It's not just about assimilating information in our minds. In fact, what Jesus taught was and still is the definitive blueprint for human flourishing. It is. It's not necessarily the easiest way, but it's the blueprint for human flourishing. And Jesus should know. Jesus should know, shouldn't he? Now, thankfully for his listeners, whenever he said, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and teachers, he didn't just leave it there. He went on to give some examples of what he meant. He, gave, he went on to give examples of what he was meaning whenever he was saying, I want you to think differently. So let's have a look at a few of those this morning. Let me read <clears throat> the first one. It's in Matthew 5 and verse 21. This is Jesus speaking. He says, you've heard that it was said to people long ago, do not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar and first go and be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court. Do it while you're still with him on the way or he may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth, you'll not get out until you've paid the last penny. So each of the next few little sections, Jesus says, you've heard it said, but I'm telling you. He was saying, you've, you've been led to believe that, that this is what it means, but actually, in my new kingdom, this is what it means. This is the different way. This is the new way, deeper way of thinking. So much more than just keeping the rules. I'm sure when murder was, was spoken of first, probably just about everybody who was there thought, yep, I've checked that one. I haven't murdered anyone in the last week. But Jesus was saying there's more to it. Now, clearly he wasn't, in, he wasn't contradicting the instruction of not to murder. That still stands. That requirement is intact. But what he was saying was there's more. What does love require of me? Jesus was saying that like murder, anger, name-calling, which can seem innocuous things, anger and name-calling can also have a devastating effect on other people. And so in, in, in the new kingdom, just not murdering people, that wasn't enough. Jesus was saying, I don't want you to be angry with another person or to call them names. Jesus was raising the bar, wasn't he? Substantially raising the bar. This was a deeper level of righteousness. This is what he was talking about. 
And it does come to a cost. It did then and it does now to those who are seeking it. So whenever Jesus is talking about anger, he's not talking about that initial flare-up. You know what it is. You can actually feel it here. There's something goes on emotionally. Something happens that, that you're not happy about and you just feel that initial surge of, of anger. Maybe that's just me. That's not what he was talking about. We can't control that at all. That's, that's just something that happens. But we can control what happens next. What happens after that? That's what Jesus was, was talking about. Initial anger is often directed at a thing, a situation, a circumstance. Jesus was saying, we need to have, uh, the warning signs are whenever we start to direct our anger towards a person as opposed to a problem. When anger takes root, when we start to brood over things, whenever we replay conversations, whenever we talk, uh, talk people down, whenever we're sarcastic, whenever we nurse a grudge, and so on and so on and so on. We become offended. We become annoyed. That anger has done something. It takes root and we can't move on. Anger is, is energy that's, that's released in defending something that's important to us. So anger, in that sense, can be good, can be okay, and we can influence in a, in a positive direction. Destructive anger is when that energy is released against a person and we start to judge their character. And the thing that we're defending is our ego, because we don't want to look or feel bad. The anger should have been released against the problem of the situation, but it suddenly changed, and now it's very much personal. Can you see the difference? Can you see what Jesus was getting at? Can you see the destructive power that that can wreak? And also, can you see how quickly that anger can change? From a, from a circumstance into a person. Here's an example. Imagine you're driving along, minding your own business, and somebody pulls out in front of you. Now, wherever that move was, it, it, it was dangerous. Yeah, you get that surge of anger inside you. It could have caused damage to your car, it could have caused you injury to somebody, whatever it was. There was a situation, you have that initial flare-up of uh, the feeling of anger within you, but what, what happens next? So often we can quickly shift to the person. You're an idiot, worst driver in the world. What are you playing at? That's the thing that Jesus is talking about. Suddenly we become the innocent victim. It's about us. You never catch me doing that. I'm the best driver in the world. I, I, I never go in those situations. Suddenly we're making a judgment about somebody else's character. We're calling him that name. Our emphasis has changed from the situation to the character. We start to highlight their weaknesses and don't know anything about their strengths. The weaknesses build up and build up and our self-righteousness builds up and build up and we go into work and we're talking about it and we're slighting this person without knowing the first thing about them. That's what Jesus was talking about. Maybe that's a trite example, but there's other situations where that anger can build and it changes into something like contempt to judgment without us really realizing because it doesn't flip from one to another, it just builds. We hold someone in contempt. We feel annoyed all the time about something they've said or something that they've done. 
Do you see how easily that can take hold? Our culture encourages it in some situations, doesn't it? We're encouraged to get mad, to get angry, to get even. We're encouraged to get others to get mad and get angry and get even. Let anger fuel the fight, whatever the fight happens to be. Jesus was saying, no, 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 no. That's, that's not the way in the new kingdom. That can wreak havoc just as murder can. So both will be subject to judgment in the end. Jesus goes on to give a few examples of how, how that cycle can be broken. And the first one, he said, if you remember what we just read, he said, if you're offering your sacrifice at the altar and suddenly you remember that you're angry with somebody or a relationship's not right, leave the sacrifice there. That was a huge deal in those days. Leave it there. So it was effectively saying your relationship with another person has a direct impact on your relationship with God. A huge deal. And the exaggerated part of that story was, I don't know if you realize, but the altar Jesus is talking about, it was in Jerusalem. And Jesus was talking from Galilee, and there were 80 miles in between. So Jesus was saying, if something's not right with your friend or your neighbor or your colleague, I want you to walk those 80 miles, leave your goat there, and sort that out, and then walk back another 80 miles. Then when things are right, you can offer that sacrifice. Take it seriously. That's what Jesus was saying. This is a serious matter. The steps, the things that build on top of each other, that's where havoc can happen. Take it seriously. And secondly, Jesus was saying, deal with it quickly. That's what the bit about the going to court, you're meeting an adversary, you're, you're walking along, you're on your way. What he was saying there was, so often it needs a conversation, an honest, open, frank, vulnerable conversation, and things can be fixed. You don't need to get lots of other people involved. You don't need to get lots of evidence. You don't need to get lots of opinions. That just grows it into something that it doesn't need to be. Deal with it quickly. Address it fast. Again, those concepts are quite simple to understand, aren't they? But not necessarily easy to put into practice. I've seen in, in so many situations, so many unnecessary relational breakdowns because some of those honest conversations haven't been treated seriously and haven't been dealt with in that moment at that time. Jesus was saying there's a different way. There's a different way. And whenever we live that different way, people see it. People see something different about the way we go about things, about the way that we interact. We're still human, we're still imperfect, but we're doing, we're endeavoring to do something in a different manner. The next thing Jesus brings up is the subject of adultery. Again, I imagine a lot of the, the listeners there thought, yep, I'm okay on that front. Nothing much to worry about there. Let me read what Jesus said. You've heard it, you've heard it that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, 
gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Once again, Jesus is saying, think differently. This is a new kingdom. This is a new way. Don't commit adultery. Yes, that still stands. I'm not changing that in any way. But once again, I'm raising the bar because that's what love requires. That's the newness that I'm talking about. And what Jesus is talking about here, he's not talking about appreciating beauty. In this instance, he's talking to men, but I think all these principles relate to women too. He's not talking about appreciating beauty that's normal and healthy. And also, I don't think he's speaking about that sort of momentary flash of whatever the neurobiological thing that goes on that that creates a, a sort of sexual activity in us when we see someone attractive. I don't think he's talking about that either. Again, that happens. We can't do anything about that. That's temptation. We can't control that. But just as in the instance with anger, we can control what happens next. We can control if there's a second glance or a third glance, or a fourth glance, or going over things in our mind, or whatever it happens to be, we can control that. Lust, as spoken about here, is when a man, a man, as I said in this case, so the principle applies to women too, when a man gazes at a woman in order to get sex, sexual gratification for him from her body. That first glance turns into a second one, a third one, a fourth one. And so the cycle goes. And what's, that's what Jesus was saying, whenever you look lustfully, you've already committed adultery in your heart. And what this cycle of lust does, it turns the other person into an object. It completely dehumanizes them. It turns them into an object for somebody else's personal gratification gain. So this whole idea of objectification that is very prevalent and rightly so in our world at the minute, it's not something new. Back then, Jesus said, there's a different way to be. There's a different way to act. Don't commit adultery. Yeah, that's right. What does love require of you as far as loving other people? Don't look at them in that way. Don't objectify somebody that I've created in my image. Jesus was saying, think differently. There's a better way. Lust doesn't lead to human flourishing. Quite the opposite, in fact. That's very relevant in our culture today, isn't it? Our culture today is very much focusing on the individual, on individual happiness. Give in to your desires. If if it makes you happy, that's the most important thing. There aren't really any good and bad desires, just what feels right for you. Jesus is saying no. And he's not saying no to to bring a complete downer on everybody. He's saying no because he knows that that isn't in our best interests. That isn't in anyone's best interests. Here's the best way. Today, love so easily gets confused with lust, doesn't it? Love is patient. Lust isn't patient. It's impatient. Love 
is others-centered. Lust is selfish, it's me-centered. Love personalizes, lust objectifies. Love is for the long term, lust is for that moment. Jesus knew that lust does something so harmful to our hearts, to our inner selves. That's why he was warning against it. Not just to lift up and give us another set of rules. He wanted our best. He made us, he sustains us, he knows us, he knows what's best for us. Again, as with anger, Jesus used exaggerated language to get across just how seriously we ought to be taking this. He wasn't advocating literally gouging your eye out. But he was saying, think of that. That, That's the way to think about it. If there's something that's causing you temptation, that's causing you problem, just that's the way, that's how serious you need to take this thing, whether it's your eye or your hand or whatever it is. Don't try to manage it. Cut it out. You'll not manage it on your own. Don't shrug it off. Yes, it will cost. But whenever you see the direction that we're going, it's going to be worth it. It's going to be so worth it in the end. We can see today, I don't know the details of back then, but we can see today what happens when we get trapped in that cycle of lust. It's devastating. It's devastating on so many fronts. It can lead to addictions of multiple sexual encounters addictions of pornography, it will rob of intimacy, it will create such a huge burden of guilt and shame, and so on, and so on, and so on. Jesus knows what he's talking about. He knows what's best, he knows what love requires of us. Think differently, he's saying, there's a whole new way to be human, a whole new way to flourish, and that's what I want for you. We've got the Holy Spirit with us, What are some things that we can do when we know we're going to find ourselves in a situation that we will face temptation because we will? We will face it. What's a trigger for us to be able to ask for the Holy Spirit's intervention and strength and protection? What is that? Think of something practical that we can do. We've got each other round about us. That's why God gave us each other to love each other, to support each other, to hold each other accountable, to challenge each other. That's why we're here. We don't live in this sort of little isolated individualistic bubble. Use use one another for support, for accountability. Practically, we can choose wisely what we watch. Are we proactive in, in what we allow to come into the house? It's very easy to, say, if you're tired at night and you're, you're watching something and before you realize it's inappropriate. Be active, be proactive in what we're doing in that regard. What's on our phones? What are the apps that we've got? What are we allowing ourselves to be uh, exposed to day in and day out? Raise these matters together again. That's why we've got one another. We're all susceptible in all these areas. So we've all got something to give and something to receive. Let's use everything that God's given us to to enjoy and to, to flourish in this life. The effort and the vulnerability is so worth it. And as I said about anger, it shows others that there's a better way too. It shows others that there's a different way to be. 
not just a set of, of rules to follow. This, this is about so much more. Jesus' message to us to think differently. It's so true today, isn't it? And then as now, it wasn't to get God off our backs. That wasn't why he was saying this. It was really to open our eyes and, and help us to live the way that we were designed to be. And it wasn't a finger pointing call to you must be perfect or else. We're not perfect. We're not perfect. We will fall. We will make mistakes. We will get things wrong. But the whole reason that we can continue to be transformed is because of what Jesus did for us. Jesus answered that question, what did love require of him? God so loved the world. That's what love required of God, that he sent his son. What did love require of Jesus? That he died, that he gave his life as a sacrifice to, to cover over all of that rubbish, nonsense, horrible stuff that we have done and will do. That's why we can know transformation. We can't do it on our own at all. The love of Jesus has saved us. And just as, as I finish, I was sitting at home just a week or two ago and all the kids were just sitting together, age 16 down to six. They were, there were a few friends, I think, were in there too. They were enjoying a bit of banter. It was, it was good fun. They were laughing. It was just a really nice scene. It's not like that all the time, but this particular scene, it was really nice. And I just happened to be there and, and to see it. And it just, it just filled me with joy. The joy of a dad. And it made me think <clears throat> of our heavenly dad. What does he think when he looks down at us? What gives him joy is seeing us all getting on. Seeing us all different, seeing us all discussing, but seeing us all getting on because we're connected, because we're joined, because we all call him dad. That's a big responsibility of his church with a capital C, isn't it? Everyone, the world is watching us. What an incredible witness it is whenever they see that that is a reality. We're getting on. What did Jesus say? He said, they'll know you're my disciples, how? Because of your love for each other. They'll know that you're my disciples because of your love for one another. There's quite a lot of these one another's in, if you read uh, throughout Jesus' teaching and, and other teaching in the New Testament. We're told to submit to one another, to forgive one another, to encourage one another, to restore one another, to accept one another, to care for one another, to bear with one another, to carry one another's burdens. That's what love requires of us. When Jesus was with his disciples just before he went on the, on the road to crucifixion, he said, I'm going to give you one last command. And this is what he said. I want you to love each other the way that I've loved you. That was it. I want you to love one another the way that I've loved you. And I'm sure in that moment they were all thinking of those times when they'd been impatient or silly or asked 
dopey questions or being late or whatever it happens to be. And Jesus was saying, I want you to love each other the way that I've loved you. I've shown you the way. And this is what, wouldn't this be great if that's what the experience, the growing experience of what people outside of church with a capital C think of when they see us. We should be best at this one anothering thing, shouldn't we? The best friends, the best employers, the best employees, the best neighbors, the best of all of those. That's, that's how we love Edinburgh, isn't it? That's how it happens. We start by following Jesus. We start by understanding the reality of his new kingdom. We start by re realizing what this call on me and on you actually is. And we're family together in this. We need each other. We grew together and that love that we have for each other that's real and tangible and messy, but real and, and there, that's what other people see. And that's what other people, that's how we love the city that God has put us in. What does love require of me? What does love require of you? A good question just to have in our minds as we go into another week. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that by your spirit you're here. You're here within us, you're here amongst us. You're real. And your love for us is real. And your desire for our flourishing is real. And your desire for our ongoing transformation is real. So I pray that we would know what it is that you're saying to us this day. Thank you for loving us. Thank you we can call you Father. Thank you for calling us into your rescue plan for those who don't know who you are. And we pray that our love would grow because our love, because our understanding of your love for us is growing and we just can't help it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.